This episode of Fermented Adventure the Podcast features Matt Mackay. It was recorded at Bimber Distillery in London, England. Please take a moment to subscribe to be notified when the most recent episode has been uploaded. Feel free to reach out to Matt and Bimber and let them know what you thought about the podcast. Cheers! Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guests. We are here at Bimber Distillery. I'm here with Matt Mackay. Matt, how did all this get started? How did Bimber get started? Hi, guys. Uh, lovely to have you here. So Bimber was founded in 2015 by our founders, Ewelina and Darius from Poland. They came over to the UK. They run a carpentry and building firm, but they've always had a passion for distilling. That primarily came from Darius's background. He has a generations of illicit distillers, moonshiners, who were based in Poland. So the essence of distilling and that sense of distilling through um, touch, and taste and smell has been with his family and been passed down through for generations. So when Darius and Erolina came over to the UK and had the opportunity to build Bimba, they knew they had to go for it. So they founded the distillery in 2015. Um, our first production run was in May 2016. And then just last year, um, around about the middle of the summer, we had whiskey, which was now legally of age, three years old. The name Bimba comes from the Polish word meaning moonshine. Okay. Um, so if you go to Poland and you ask for Bimba, you're looking for some illicit spirit, which you may or may not find. But apparently, if you do find it, it will never give you a hangover. What is it about the Bimba in Poland that won't give you a hangover? Well, I'm not sure that's necessarily true, but, <laughs> okay. but certainly from what I can tell, um, it's the way it's been made with love. It okay. has been distilled on pretty small, pretty basic equipment. But as I said, it's about that that touch and that taste and that smell rather than necessarily working with you know strict abvs and times it's all about assessing the spirit and making sure it's exactly as you want it to be so yeah our name comes from uh, the polish word for moonshine but also our logo has some history there the polish flag has uh, an eagle on the top and of that's, the crest yeah and the eagle is yeah. part of your logo for bimber that's it so what we've done is we've taken that polish flag logo it's kind of traditional it looks to the left in the past so we've taken it, we've modernized it, and we've turned it around to the right. So it's looking to the future because that's what we're all about. That's what you're all about. Now, Bimber and what you're making here is essentially the beginning of moonshine, yes? Um, I mean, effectively, moonshine is, yeah, it's just distilled spirit. But uh, what we're doing here is uh, we're moving away from those old illicit days and, and we're doing it completely legally uh, in a craft manner um, from grain to glass. Uh, and yeah, we're making uh, some, some very fine... Uh, well-crafted English single malt. 
with the with that moonshine, with that English single malt, what was the decision to start with there, and how did you pick this location where we're in in London? How did they how did they determine that? Sure. So um, the our founders' um, carpentry business is literally just around the corner from here. Okay, and that's a really useful thing because having all of those artisans who play with an experiment and are skilled in wood is really important to us because using their skills they provide cooperage services for the distillery so they're making your they're making your barrels they're not making them because they're, they're in the mindset of how um, to make them they are all of our barrels we'll talk about it later they, okay. they they come from other sources so you know ex-bourbon barrels or sherry casks but when you have barrels you do need to keep them in good condition uh, you'll need to re-gauge them you'll need to check all the hoops are tight um, they will also provide us with their skills for building things that we use in the distillery. So, for instance, the fermenters uh, that we'll go and see shortly, those have all been completely handmade um, by um, the, the coopers that we have just down the road. Um, so we're very fortunate to, to have those skills. So, in essence, choosing the location, one, it's about, you know, it's about availability and having space and also be minding about any health and safety requirements. But two, being so close to that source of, um, essential um, artisan skills is, is really fundamental for what we're doing here. So essentially we're in what in the United States would be considered an industrial park. It's an industrial center. From the area, how do you source your grains? So where are the grains coming from? Sure. So all of our grains come from a single farm in Hampshire. They come from a farm called Fordnam and Allen. Uh, the grains are Turo, Concerto, and Laureate. Uh, it's very similar to what you'll find in Scotland. Uh, a lot of distilling is based around the Concerto strain. We're using a combination of Concerto and Laureate. Uh, one, because it's the flavor profile that we want to seek. But two, because Concerto as a strain is nearing the end of its efficiency. And a lot of distillers are going to be moving on to Laureate shortly. So Why, why is that happening? Um, I mean, effectively, if you think about a grain, if every time you, you re-germinate it, you're just losing a little bit of that potency. Uh, and that's not something that happens over you know a season or two. That's something that does take generations. But effectively, it's almost like uh, taking a spirit and adding a bit more water each time. You're, you're, you're diluting it down. You're going to get less, effectively, sugars, uh, fermentable sugars That's out of it. That's fascinating. So this will be no more. And unless you, like what you're doing, unless you're thinking ahead, you're really going to lose your ability. Sure. I mean, um, all, I would imagine that all distillers are, are mindful of this. And certainly Laureate, uh, as far as I'm concerned, will become um, the primary uh, grain that people are looking at um, over here to to distill with. That's not to say that there aren't a lot of other grains that people um, are playing around with and experimenting with. But but we're we're very traditional in that sense. We're we're looking at malted barley um, just to make single malt. So it's all held at that single farm um, where we have fields. It's then taken and malted um, at Warminster Maltings, which is England's oldest malting. Uh, we have a dedicated floor at Warminster so that all of the bimba grain is completely separated from everyone right, so else. So you're not commingling your grain? Not at all, Good. not at all. Just so, just, and that's not for any reasons that we're worried about. It's just so that we know that the grain is exactly the specification that we want. Um, we have done some peated grain. We don't do that at Warminster. Um, we're a pretty inventive bunch here. So our master <laughs> distiller, um, he effectively turned his basement into a mini malting floor, took the grain home, malted it, and then he smoked it in a, a homemade, almost like a beehive smoker, um, that again, him and the uh, the Coopers constructed. So um, that's that's just a little bit makeshift. But um, using that smoked barley, um, we've done some runs uh, just this week 
uh, to produce our own uh, peated spirit in, in very small batches. So take us through the progression. So the beginning, you open up the distillery. Obviously, you're putting uh, your product in barrels. Yep. Take us through the progression of, I know we're going to taste it a little bit, but take us through the progression of what you started with and what, what was the beginning essence of the distilled spirits you were working with. Sure. So there, there are two things there. I mean, firstly, as a brand new distillery, um, and as is the case with many places, you need to be mindful of how you're going to make an income. And you're going to be laying down barrels, um, which aren't going to be ready for a number of years. But yet you still need to somehow keep the operation going day to day. Um, so what we did initially was whilst we were laying down barrels of uh, single malt whiskey, we were also distilling uh, a variety of white spirits, so vodka uh, and gin, um, which obviously, because they don't necessarily need to be laid down, they're available much quicker. So we had a selection of um, finely made vodkas and gins, which we were uh, producing particularly for the London bar trade. That provided some income and also got people pretty interested in us. But at the same time, we were already looking at... Uh, what we were going to be filling in terms of malt whiskey, what type of barrels we're going to be using, how those barrels will be act to the spirit over different times. And that has developed. Um, initially, we were filling quite a lot of um, ex-bourbon barrels, and, and indeed we still are. But what we're looking at going forward, bearing in mind the sort of popularity of what we're seeing people interest in Bimba, is, is playing around a bit, is experimenting. So looking at... Uh, using some peated spirit, looking at using casks that previously held peated whiskey, um, looking at cask finishing. So playing around at the cask we've got to create something even more unique. So uh, effectively, it's all been a learning curve for us. Uh, whilst Darius uh, and his family have had that, that history of bimba, of moonshining, scaling that up from hiding in the woods or someone's <laughs> basement to, to running um, a small craft distillery, there's, there's quite a lot of learning curve there. Um, but yeah, I, I would certainly say um, that three and a half years later after having our first whiskey um, we've got a pretty good idea of, of what we're doing here and, and where we see the product going in terms of both what we're producing as sort of core distilling but then also where we see areas for experimentation what are some of the challenges of opening up a distillery in London uh, in English distillery versus Scottish we, we talked about the Irish Scottish I mean, what are some of the challenges in the, the reception of an English whiskey what, what is that like for you? Sure. So um, I would say the perceptions of English whiskey have and are dramatically changing right now. Um, if you went back 14 years ago, there was w only one English distillery, St. George's, up in Norfolk. Um, and, you know, if you mentioned whiskey worldwide 14 years ago, you'd be talking about Scotland. You'd be talking about bourbon and rye. You might be muttering about Japanese whiskey. <laughs> um, but as, as, as you know, the market has moved on. Whiskey has exploded so not only have you seen like a revival of Irish whiskey, they're going from six to 31 distilleries very rapidly. Japanese whiskey, you'd be lucky if you get hold of any age stock. But at the same time, a growing number of English distilleries have now opened. England has had a history of distilling, but we're going back a few hundred years. So England is also seeing something of a revival. Uh, and now there are you know around a dozen English distilleries all putting their own spin on, on single malt production. So... It's almost like the English whiskey production, that, that distillery, that needed to be cleansed a little bit. And now that's like that rebirth of something, create something even more unique and special. Um, I mean, yeah, certainly. It, it's, it's, it's a perception thing that I think if we tried to open Bimba 20 years ago, I think we would have struggled. But well, Bourbons were struggling in the United States 20 years ago. Whiskey so, enthusiasts, yeah. not yeah. only yeah. are they really keen, um, they're also increasingly exploring more 
So, so whereas you might get someone who said, well, you know, I really only like scotch. Nowadays, you'll find people, yeah, they still like scotch, but they're, they're keen to see what other countries are doing, what they're putting a different spin on it. And so currently, we are seeing um, a real booming interest in, in English whiskey. Uh, and it's just really delightful that Bimbo is, is playing an active part in, 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 in that growth, in, in that modern day revival. So what are some of the challenges of opening this distillery here sure, sure. in London? Um, so I wouldn't necessarily say that they're hugely different from Scotland, um, but there are some differences. Obviously, space. Um, I mean, you've still got to go through the same sort of planning permissions, health and safety, specking out exactly what your distillery is going to look like, how it's going to function. Um, but space, space is an issue. Um, and also, if you're mindful, not all Scottish distilleries are necessarily nestled by a mountain or in a forest. Um, some are indeed in town centres. Um, but there are issues in terms of what, not only where you can find a space for it, but also where you're legally going to be in a space that, that is um, permitted. I mean, certainly I know in the US uh, with zoning regulations, the location and sizing of distilleries um, can be very tricky. Um, so, yeah, here we are. We're, we're in North Acton, just 10 minutes west of London. And as I said earlier, it's very suitable because of the access of, of, of our Coopers. Um, but yeah, it, its location is is something of a necessity because of the real estate prices. I mean, you know, trying to build a, a distillery next next to I don't know Piccadilly Circus. Right. Uh, one, the cost would be absolutely enormous. Two, I probably don't see it. Um, so so there's there's a different function in terms of having the right size and shape and functional space, um, but also making it uh, an economic and feasible proposition to do in the first place. So how did you get started in, in the spirit world? What, what's your background? Sure. So my background is public relations and marketing. I, I've been a, a chartered public relations practitioner. I've been in the industry for 21 years. Um, I've spent virtually all of my time working in engineering and biomedical science, so a technical background. Um, but about 10 years ago... Um, we need so many engineers. We really do. It's, it's, it's a fascinating transition <laughs> into the distilled spirits well, you've still, Yeah, I mean, you've still got a lot of, a lot of technical knowledge and, and things that appeal to, um, by my own admission, you know, the geeks, the geeks right. in us. Um, <laughs> so uh, about 10 years ago, um, my own whiskey interest really started to take off. I'd, I'd been drinking whiskey um, socially uh, and as a sort of enthusiast um, for about 20 years. But about 10 years ago, um, I sort of really found a, I really found a love for it. I opened up a, a whiskey club um, in northwest London. Off the back of that, I then started writing a website, which is still running, called thedramble.com. Um, and that's effectively where, um, by doing that website and by almost doing what the same as you're doing here, by talking to people, by interviewing them, by learning more, um, I was introduced to Bimba. Um, and it seemed to be a great fit that they were looking for someone who could... Um, take forward their communications and work with them to really spread the word around what they're doing here. Um, but likewise, you know, it's, it, it's, it's one big happy family here. So we all get on amazingly well. Um, you'll see as we go around the distillery that there's, there's almost too much work for the team um, that you have here. So, so it's all very hands-on. So as well as doing um, the communications and marketing work, I'm also helping our master distiller with picking out the casks. Um, that's a terrible job, I can tell you. That's it's a horrible a, job. It's a really awful job yeah. that someone's got to do it. Um, and so, no, that, that's, that's a real honor to be able to not only help um, promote the brand and, and describe what we're doing, how it's different, but also to be um, not necessarily from the distillation part. That's, I, I leave that to the experts. But to play a small part in, in, in helping our little family 
uh, grow and find a place uh, in the world. Well, I will say, and we've been here now for about an hour, I've seen more people running around your distillery and everybody seems like to do something. You have a lot of people working here, it seems. Uh, I think it's just the same people dashing <laughs> just, between two locations. They just change outfits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Um, I mean, there's always people coming and going for, you know, deliveries, for moving casts around, for moving IBCs of liquid, for, uh, as you can see it now, um, doing a little bit of um, cleaning of the spirit still. There's always something going on. Um, but everything, other than growing the barley, we're doing everything here. So the barley comes in in bags. And then the next time it leaves the distillery, it's in casks or in bottles. Um, everything else happens here, um, from all the lab testing to the labeling to the filling. Um, so, yeah, it's very hands-on. Um, certainly from the uh, mashing and moving of cast point of view, it's very laborious. Um, but I think that's what makes us, makes us that, 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 that craft type of distillery, that um, there's no automation, there's no computerization. We're, we're hands-on with everything that we do. Um, and to work in a distillery like this, you've, as a team, you've, you've got to be hands-on. You've got to have a real passion for it to, to just jump in where someone needs help. I think that really comes out, and, and even through our conversation about the artisan spirit of what you're producing, that craft idea. And we talked about, hey, there's different levels of craft. Yeah. You're not just opening up your, your founders, your um, owners are not just opening up a distillery because they just thought that would be fun to make money and they had a lot of people that would want to back them. Sure. They really care and are really interested in producing the best possible spirit. And it seems like it's going to be representative of, of an English whiskey and or an English take on whiskey that now can be broadcast throughout the world. Sure. No, I think I think that's a very good description. Um, I mean, certainly everyone here uh, utterly, uh, utterly shares that passion for making uh, the best whiskey that we can. Um, we all do this because we're uh, we're whiskey geeks. We're 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 enthusiasts turned turn producers. We're we're people who uh, just simply love whiskey, whether it's our own or other people's. Um, it, it's a very exciting time to be involved in whiskey because there's just so much going on, and so. Even from the enthusiast side in us, um, that's a wonderful thing that we can have conversations with other distilleries and see what they're doing. Um, in terms of um, the sort of English, the English sector, um, I mean that is still um, a little bit nascent. Um, I mean, what defines English whiskey other than being made in England? That's that's an interesting question that I'm looking forward to talking with to other colleagues working at the other English distilleries. It's still it doesn't necessarily have. Um, a refined category in the way that Scotch has the Scotch Whiskey Association, which says you shall do this, you shall not do that. We don't have that yet because we're all relatively, compared to hundreds of years of traditional uh, distilling in Scotland, we're all relatively young. Um, but I think for the sector to grow, that's something that certainly I would like to see, that coming together and of setting uh, you know, what we're about, what English whiskey means, how it's different, um, and having those sort of common standards so we can ensure that if anyone came in to the market to produce English whiskey, that all the other producers are, uh, you know, feel that they're part of the family and they're doing things the way that we want to see them done, i.e. Uh, with high quality and, and a real attention to detail to produce the, the finest spirit that they can. Given your interest, given your history, given your experience in whiskey, what would you want to see as a couple of bullet points of that criteria be adhered to or be considered for it being an English whiskey? Good question. Um, I mean... Most of us are adhering to many of the regulations that you'd see in Scotland already. So three-year maturation, maturation in oak casks, uh, no staving with inside the casks, things that, things that you um, would see the world over um, but would also accept. 
Um, it's a really good question about what you would see as English. Um, I honestly don't know what the answer will be yet. Um, we'll have to see. Um, we'll have to, amongst ourselves, have a discussion around, well, if, if we are a new category, what areas do we want to uh, set as base rules to ensure quality? But where, where might we want to experiment? Um, the SWA in Scotland uh, last year, uh, they recently relaxed the rules around cast types. So whilst it's still got to be oak casks, and I don't see that ever changing for, for Scotland, um, you can now have casts that have had different precursor liquids in. So uh, rest assured, you're going to see a wealth of tequila cast matured or finished whiskies coming from Scotland. Um, Which I think is an impact to where they see the overall whiskey industry going it's it's a you know I think it's a compliment to them for realizing that what's coming down the pike and what's looking forward they're going to need to come up with these more creative ways to to really produce their spirits. But I think in, from an English whiskey standpoint, that's like you're not this you can turn the ship around really fast. Yeah, you, you yeah, can yeah, do yeah, yeah. some really cool things, and I think that may be the characteristic of that. What that what that English whiskey might might bring about? Yeah, I, um, I the, said, the rebel whiskey sect. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, you know, compared to, to some, I mean, if you you look over what they're doing in Sweden, they're doing some some really interesting things in terms of in terms of wood types over there. But I mean, there's there's all sorts of they different get all things. The wood from IKEA, how's that? Work? <laughs> they do get it locally, <laughs> uh, but it doesn't come flat pack. Okay. Um, no, there's a lot of interesting things we can do. Uh, I think it needs the sector to. Not to prove itself, that's the, that's the wrong way, but to, to establish itself. And so you do have that, uh, that reputation that is just almost taken for granted, that English whiskey, if it is a category, um, people already are aware of it, that they know it. And that's something which I'm pretty sure is going to happen. Um, but to my mind, we're only really in the sort of first five years of that, of that growth, of that recognition and that interest. So um, whilst I think, yeah, a lot of things are possible, I think it's right for the sector to uh, to look at where it is and look at where it could go before making any any big pronouncements about we want to be this, we don't want to be that. For me, it's about high quality. It's about passion. It's about showing uh, the world that English distilling um, is something that should be, like every other country, paid attention to. Um, and that, yeah, we are doing things a bit differently. Um, but I don't think necessarily we want to, to bind ourselves um, too closely uh, other than you don't following, want to get too regulated. No, 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 no. Um, I mean, I think there are, as I said, there are common regulations um, that I think are a necessity for in, in ensuring a common standard. And at the moment, uh, all of us are effectively taking a leaf out of the SWA regulations. I can see that a lot of those probably won't change. Um, but that doesn't mean there's not massive scope for how you might go about uh, experimenting with liquid. I mean, just for example, this is not something we're doing, but you know, you could you could take uh, different cuts of spirit from different runs, so heads from run, one run, and then you could mix them with um, the hearts from another run before you stick it into a cask. So, you know, you, that, that's that's sort of taking the idea of blending uh, in a different direction. So rather than blending aged liquid, you can blend new makes uh, before you put them in the cask. And that's something that is completely permitted now. I, I know that uh, certainly the whiskey maker at uh, Lakes Distillery uh, up north is is absolutely looking at how you can get different profiles of spirit uh, before you actually start maturation. So it's areas like that that I don't see English whiskey as necessarily being the rebel out there, but I do see it as playing an active part in the continued whiskey experimentation, innovation uh, that you are seeing pretty much the world over. 
Well, here's what I would love to do. Let's take a tour of the distillery. We'll come back and we'll taste some of the spirits that are coming off the still. We'll talk a little bit more. We'll take a little break. We'll take a little walk and we'll come back. Absolutely. It'd be my guest. We just finished our tour. And Matt, you, you touched on a couple of really interesting things. Talk about what you're doing with your barley. Sure. So the barley comes from a single field, um, a farm called Fordham and Allen in Hampshire. We chose that barley because of the, the grain type that it is because we want that mix of concerto and laureate for fermentability and for the flavor profile of the spirit. But what we do with it that's pretty different is that rather than milling it, rather than putting it through rollers, putting it through, if you've been to Scotland, you'll probably see a bobby or a porteous mill. Rather than doing that, we, we just crack it. So we just crap, o- crap open the husks so that we release some of the flowers, but we keep the husk intact. And the reason we do that for is one, so it becomes part of the, the flavor base of our mash, but two, because it promotes a, a much clearer eventual wort. Um, because everything we do here is about really trying to create um, the basis for our whiskey from that, that wort, from that wash, that is really crystal clear, really precise, fruit forward. Um, but yeah, it doesn't necessarily just have uh, a massive sort of grainy or multi-characteristics. So really bright, really fresh. And so by cracking the grains rather than completely milling them, uh, that promotes the characteristic that we're looking for. Then you're taking that wash, you're taking that wort, and you're putting it into these big fermentation yep. tanks. Talk about the tanks, because that is really, really interesting as to what you're doing. So the tanks you won't see anywhere in the world, and the reason for that is because we built them here ourselves. Um, the seven washbacks are made of uh, American oak. They've been lightly toasted inside, and they were built by our coopers. Um, there was four here at the beginning of last year, and now we've got seven because we've moved to a, a much wider production regime. So... The uh, liquid is put into the uh, fermenters and we add yeast. Our yeast is just distiller's yeast, but the fermenters are open-topped. Uh, so that promotes the addition throughout fermentation of wild and yeast. This is really what yeah. the interesting part is because that's the wild yeast, that strain could be imparting some different flavor characteristics. Absolutely. Also how it's going to attack those sugars and, yep. and what it's going to do in the fermentation process. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, they're open-topped. Uh, that does sometimes mean that when it's a very active uh, fermentation that you're going to see some bubbling over the sides, uh, despite how big they are. Um, but then, yeah, open-top fermentation and seven-day fer- um, fermentation regime, which is really, really long. I mean, a lot of distilleries you'll see, they'll work to 48 hours, 60, 72. Uh, we're going for the full 108. Um, we fundamentally believe that a lot of the characteristics that you get from whiskey, from single malt whiskey, are forged from that fermentation process. And that effectively, distillation is really there to refine, to concentrate, and to enhance the flavors that you've created from that fermentation. So whilst notionally the active fermentation has finished after, I don't know, four days, we're leaving it there for additional time to promote its activity with the wild yeast and also to allow it to interact with the toasted washbacks that we have there that we've created ourselves so that you're already starting to promote the type of flavor and the profile of whiskey that we're looking to make, which is crystal clear, uh, accessible, and, and really fruit forward. Yeah, the difference here is ferment tanks generally are stainless steel. Yep. You don't want them to come in contact with anything from outside, as you said. You're doing that for 48 hours, and then you're going right into the still. Here, what happens is you let that rest. 
you get all that process of what just took place just kind of sit there and just relax a little bit and, and take on exactly and, and, and with those American oak uh, washbacks as you call them yep. that's what's really also going to impart some flavor yeah exactly uh, I mean you'll still see quite a lot of pine wooden washbacks in Scotland um, but quite a few distilleries are moving over to the stainless steel type um, for a number of reasons um, often based on ease of cleaning um, ease of sterilization um, but again, um, we're whiskey geeks, and so we love wood. So um, wood was always going to be uh, where we wanted to end up, and, and that's what we've got. And yeah, one, one the wash is, uh, is sitting there. Um, it is interacting, uh, both being open-topped and with the side of the washback. So we believe that we are already crafting uh, the indicators and the flavor bases of what we're then going to later distill to, to become our, our, our malt spirit. And then in the still, in, in the distillation process, you're yep. only using the hearts. Yep. The we, heads and tails, they're not even going to be part of your process. Yeah, exactly. So, um, again, because of the type of whiskey that we want to make, which is um, really precise, really fresh, really crisp, we are not redistilling heads back in. We, we simply work from our wash still into our spirit still uh, with a very tight cut, pulling it off uh, around... Uh, 72% ABV. So what's that? 144 uh, proof in, you in, you, in, in your terms. Yep. Uh, then we are diluting that down um, to 63 and a half, uh, ready for barreling. Uh, 63 and a half is pretty much recognized as standard barreling strength over here. Um, that said, that's, there's no reason why people aren't playing with it, but it's effectively been looked at that you don't want to go too much higher than that. You don't want the alcohol to burn out the insides of your cast. So um, for the time being, yeah, we're, we're, we're filling at 63 and a half uh, in, into those barrels ready for their maturation period. And you have quite a different um, quite a different set of barrels. You're doing different different techniques. And what are you doing with your barrels right now? Sure. So most of what we're filling is ex-bourbon, uh, and that's sourced from Kelvin Cooperage. Um, but what we're doing with the barrels is, is twofold. One, we're not just filling ex-bourbon. We have a range of sherry casks. We were very fortunate to... Uh, get hold of not sherry transport casks, but to get hold of some actual Solera casks out of a bodega. Uh, those formed the basis of our very first release last year, uh, which was uh, PX matured in uh, ex Solera casks, quite popular. Um, we're also then looking at virgin casks. Um, we've got some ex peated quarter casks. And uh, certainly, uh, myself and a distiller are looking at where we can source some more unusual casks for. Um, future releases. So, for instance, working with a local brewery, um, providing them with some cast to fill with stout, letting them make a, a bimber aged stout, and then after three or four months, taking those casts back and then uh, transferring over some previously matured ex-bourbon to then finish in the stout cask. So, um, whilst a lot of what we're doing is that, that sort of core bimber, the ex-bourbon, which, which we all feel is very evocative of the profile and style we're making, there's a whole host of other casts and other styles of finishing, of uh, using peat, of working with other local drinks producers and spirits producers to, um, to try to, to see how versatile our spirit is and to produce unique things. Um, a, lot, a lot of the people who love Bimba um, don't just love us for the ex-bourbon, although they do love that, uh, but they are looking to see, well, hey, what if the spirit was put in this cask? What if you did it that way? And yeah, at this stage, we're very happy to, uh, to have a look at experimentation and to see what different shapes and forms our spirit can take and to keep it fresh. You know, it's always nice to try something different. Um, I love the idea of the collaborations you're doing. Yeah, yeah. And, and where you're able to, where you're able to sort, source some of these casks 
that you're able to work with. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a super fun project to be involved in. And again, you know, you're working with uh, uh, the brewery that we're looking at for the stout casks. Uh, they're a craft brewery. Uh, their operation is certainly no bigger than this. So I just think that's a fantastic thing that you've got two different but related organizations um, producing two different products, but with a ma- massive, fantastic symbiosis between the two. Um, so you'll end up with two products out there, you know, this barrel-aged, uh, bimber-infused stout, which I suspect is going to be rich, but with some of our spice, and then bringing up the the, the, the sugars, um, the sort of rich, stouty, creamy flavors, and then imbuing those into one of our whiskeys. Um, we've already played around and just literally mixed the stout with the whiskey, um, which is a little bit rough and ready. But you can kind of tell that the flavors are they're probably going to match quite well. So uh, you can't see it on the podcast because but I have a big smile on my face. Yeah, because I can I can sense the passion and excitement uh, of, of what this is creating, even for you, of, of all the cool things you're getting to do. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and this one, particularly for me, uh, when I'm not uh, mucking around with whiskey here, <laughs> um, beer is, uh, you know, it's not something that I'm in any way an expert on or write about or communicate. Um, but yeah, the craft beer movement, particularly over in, in the States, uh, which I think is a, a few years ahead of where we are in the UK, um, you know, that's really fascinating. There's an incredible amount of experimentation um, with yeasts, with uh, different types of malt bases, of wheats, of different styles of fruits. Um, and so, yeah, that's a sort of hotbed of innovation that, that certainly really appeals to me in terms of looking at craft producers in and around London who are making beer and seeing, well, you know, we have quite a lot in common here, and Absolutely. and there you go. I mean, it's 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 one thing, but you end up with two completely unique products out of it. Well, let's do this. Let's taste some of your unique products. You, How's that? You absolutely should. Uh, you've worked hard, so I think it's time for a drink. <laughs> All right, so we've got six glasses here sitting out here. What are we going to taste, Matt? Okay, so first of all, the best place to start is with our new make spirit. Um, we're very happy for people to try our new make and we want them to try it at the strength that it's filled into the barrels i.e. that is the fundamental thing the product that we have made before maturation now when you say new make basically it's the moonshine it's the bimber right? white dog moonshine bimber spirit new make yeah so effectively this has gone through all the process that we've looked at the only thing that hasn't happened to it has been put into barrels so it's unmatured Um, and yeah we like people to try it at its at its filling strength before it goes into barrels um, so it's pretty strong. Uh, you have some water here. Feel free to dilute it. It's got a nice, nice sweet nose to it. Yeah. So I mean, what I hope you find as you work your way through tasting all of our and, all of our uh, spirits and, and then whiskies is that there's this common um, fruitiness, high esteriness, um, natural sweetness. I get sp- banana. Sure. Okay. I mean, I mean I, so so when you when you're I mean, here here's the thing. The distiller is looking for a nose. It's looking for a flavor profile. What is, you know, really a sense of what you're looking for here? Sure. Um, so what I would say is I'm never one to tell anyone what they should be nosing and tasting. Gotcha. Um, it's your drink. It's your experience. Um, what we're looking for there is something that um, is crisp. It's really clean. So you don't necessarily get a lot of yeasty notes. There's not a lot of breadiness to it. It doesn't taste like. Holy shit. Wow. There you go. There you go. This is amazing. Thank you. First thing I get is a nice sweet introduction, but it's a floral sweetness to it. Um, and I've only had one sip. So. There you go. Um, I mean, that it's really popular. I mean, certainly in Poland, when you're talking about bimba, that, that's that's what it is. That's bimba. That's spirit. It's unaged. But it's proved so popular here um, that just recently we've actually, due to popular demand, bottled um, new makeup. 
Um, a lot of distilleries don't do this. Um, some do. Um, some distilleries will take the new make and then they'll reduce the strength down to 46% or something a bit more palatable. Um, but we're really proud of that, that core basic spirit that we've made um, because we think it defines everything that we do. And so, yeah, we've uh, just recently bottled up uh, a distillery exclusive so that you can buy um, this sold out so quickly. Um, our, our new make spirit in a whole bottle. Matt, I love the toasted marshmallow. I always, I always feel like it's like that toasted marshmallow. That's a good flavor note. at That's the a end. Good note. Yeah, it's just this is delicious. I can see why you would follow the demand for somebody that just would want this. This is yeah. actually a nice sipping. It's a nice sipping. As you say, new make. It's a nice sipping moonshine. Yeah. It's a nice sipping white dog. It really uh, is. I, I mean. It's kind of crazy, and uh, yeah, I also find, and a lot of people find it pretty easy going. But then, you know, it's sixty-three and a half. So what's that? One, two, seven. Uh, that's not for a light sipping drink. It actually isn't a light sipping drink. That's that's no, got some, you know, filling strength. But but it does for me. Um, it, it is worryingly worryingly easy to uh, to quaff. This could be our everyday just sipper. You Fan- know, fantastic. There you go. You, you, don't, you don't need for to wait for but, any of this stuff. But to here's mature. the thing. Actually, we've had things here to taste that have been in barrels, so let's yeah. not... Okay, so we're going to come back to sample number two, um, because although it's new make, it is peated, uh, and so we'll come to that to the end. But if you go for sample number three, uh, and in glass number three, um, that is uh, bimba that has been matured for about three years, four or five months. That's been in uh, virgin American oak. What a different nose to this all together. Yep. You really get the oakiness in the nose... It really sets that apart. I should have waited and, and, and nosed them together. Oh, we can always we can always we can provide always, you we can more. We can always add can, more. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Okay. We, we can always do we can always do comparisons because they are interesting. But yeah, so what you've got there is then yeah the spirit, three and a bit years, in an American oak cast that hasn't had any precursor liquids put in it before, and that's going to be bottled. At, it's that mystery yeah, bottle. No, it's that one. Fifty-three point one. And that's ABV. 106.2. This is hugely smooth. This is delicious. This is tasty. You just get so many layers as you go through with this. But I, I, I see what really comes out here with with what you're really looking for about that crispness. Yep. And just using the, the hearts. You're not getting any the, the sour notes or anything that a, another whiskey would produce. Yeah. So for me, uh, across all of these, to some, to some degree more, to some degree less... But you're always getting that that bright, ripe, estuary fruits, orchard fruits, peels. Um, and then you're starting to play around with it. So in this case, what you're getting through is quite a lot of that natural oakiness. So you're getting some spice. You some are. actual real spice from the wood. I get, from, I get from, clove, from nutmeg, I get cinnamon. Nice. Right exactly. before that hits, you get the dark fruits to it. So you really get this, this profile that comes through. Yep. Fabulous. Fantastic. What would we taste next? Okay, so if we move on to glass number four. So this um, was our last general release. So this is Bimba Recharge Oak Cask. So effectively what this is, is taking a cask that has previously held liquid, having our coopers strip it down, clean it out, and then basically take a flamethrower to it. Okay. So... We're not just talking about the toast, so the toast that we gave to the waspacks, a light burn. We're talking about, uh, in, in the US, you call this alligator char, level four. Um, so you've, you've flamed it to the point where 
Um, it's blistered, right? It's blistered. It's cracked. The wood sugars have started to um, caramelize. Um, so yeah, a very high toast level, char even. Um, and yeah, so this has been maturing in these barrels for uh, a little over three years. This product was released um, last October. Um, it was 5,000 bottles. And yeah, we've nearly sold out of this one. This, this has been effectively our second whiskey after our inaugural edition. Um, and this is the whiskey that a lot of people have uh, tried and has been their sort of first experience of, of Bimba. I saved some of the second one we tasted just to see them next to each other. Sure. It's a little bit, obviously because of that char, it seems like it's a little bit darker in color. I, I, I get a little bit more deeper, richer uh, flavor to it, and I'm still trying to figure out what that's coming through at. Um, I mean, that's almost certainly going to be coming from the fact that, um, I mean, the virgin cask, it's, it's not untoasted. It's not green oak by any means. That would make a peculiar whiskey. But it would have had a very light toasting to it, just to, just to activate the wood, just to break up the surface. Whereas this, this one, the rechard, as I said, it's been really aggressively flamed. And so that deeper flavor is going to be a combination of um, the sort of unlocked flavors that you're getting from the, the wood lignings, but then also those sugars, the sugars that have caramelized, they've reacted with the spirit. So whilst you might have got brighter fruits before, now you're going to get something that's almost a little bit browner, a little bit darker, a little bit richer. I, I really, as you're talking about that, I'm, I'm, I'm really getting more of a, a deeper caramel flavor to yeah. this. That's what really stands out. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, I, I can I can absolutely taste burnt wood in it. It's not a sort of smoke. That's not off-putting. No, for me, it's a, right. it's a that sort of charriness, and it's it's completely different to to smoke, to peat, or to, to to any other thing. It literally is just sort of burnt, charred staves and cask heads, which which not only bring those sort of sugar flavors and deeper, richer fruits, but also bring that their, their, their own their own flavor of actually that that uh, heavily reduced flamed wood in, into the spirit. What's still coming through here is at first the sweetness, it, it tastes like strawberry. I, I know you're talking about nice. like, yeah, dark cherry, but it, it's like that burst of this ripe strawberry that comes through and then you get the caramel on top and the oakiness and everything else. That sounds good to me. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that was uh, our most recent uh, gem release. Um, next on your tasting board, uh, number five. Um, I'm not going to tell you what this one is. Uh, I'll just simply tell you that um, it ha- it is a sherry finish. So it's ex-bourbon that's been finished in sherry. Um, and this is unreleased at the moment, uh, but will be uh, available shortly. And, and we're trying this, but we don't even know what we're trying. So this is wonderful. Well, you, you know it's a, it's a, it's a uh, bimba that's been ex-bourbon matured and sherry finished. All right. So here's what I would tell people. What they need to do right now yep. is go on their computers. Yep. Or their phones, and schedule a trip to London. Oh, we'd love to. We'd love to have uh, all of your uh, listeners come visit. Because us. this is the reason why it, you don't need to go to see like what's that? The London Eye. You don't need to see Big Ben. You need to come to Bimber and and try this delicious whiskey. Thank you. Yeah. So now you're actually starting to get some a little bit of sherry influence. It's not full term. So you're, you're, you're literally combining some of the profiles of what you've tried before, some of that caramel, toastiness, some of those fruits, but with now that over uh, red berries and, and, and perhaps more browner sugars, you know, that richer, more desserty style. But because it's a finish, it's got that balance. It's not, it's not too much of one thing, not too much of the other. And there's um, a nice dryness that comes in at the end from the, the, the barrel yeah. that you get to experience as well here. 
So yeah, that's um, effectively not quite hot off the press, um, but something that we've been finishing off this, this, is still this resting, very week. This is still resting in a barrel. Yep. It will be available. I know your uh, fans, yep. and the, I'm sure you just did a couple of releases, and apparently you sold out in, in an hour. Uh, yeah, three hours. Um, it was pretty crazy. We did some single cask distillery releases only, um, which we knew would be popular. Um we had no idea it, they would be that popular. Uh, they sold out, all of them, in three hours. Um, there were so many people calling the distillery repeatedly uh, that they took the phone but lines I would, down. I, would, I was sending messages, don't run out, don't run out. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, we were just blown away uh, by the response to that. It's fantastic. Um, but we were aware that there were some people who really wanted to get hold of it and for whatever reason couldn't get to the distillery. Um, and so we've got lots of releases coming up in the next few weeks and the next few months that are going to be easier to get hold of, more accessible, um, but still really exciting bimba whiskeys to, to show off what we've been what we've been doing here. That's a wonderful compliment to what you're doing here from a standpoint that you've built this following. You've got these raving fans that are almost expecting those items that you're coming out with, and they're going to line up and wait for them. And, and show them off to friends and just enjoy them, right? Yeah, I mean, apparently so. It's almost uh, on the day of the Distiller exclusive release, it was almost uh, very much like um, like queuing up for, you know, the latest iPhone. I, mean, I can only imagine it, what it must have looked like to come to work that day and find out people are waiting outside the door. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't like, you know, half a mile queue, but there was a queue. And <laughs> wow, uh, we weren't expecting that, you know. There was literally people here from half past seven in the morning and we don't open till nine, so... Um, no, it was absolutely fantastic, and you know, a big thank you on your show to everyone who uh, to bought those who came along, and for everyone for supporting us. And yeah, we'll, we'll have uh, a lot more exciting things uh, coming along. Um, so Matt, I can tell you, I mean, I've been excited and waiting to sit down with you and talk. But this, I can understand why people would show up and wait in line for what you're producing and not you. wanting to miss out on this. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, some people did miss out, but uh, as I said. Lots more coming, uh, lots more things very similar, and uh, yeah, we're really excited to, to share Bimbo with even more people. What's this? What's this last one? That you so have here? before we do the last one, oh, we're actually, actually going to go back to number. We're going to go back to number two. Um, so number two, uh, we're back to uh, New Make Spirit, but this is our peated New Make Spirit. So this is the spirit that uh, effectively we we did a, a sort of test run on. We uh, peated ourselves. And we have now distilled. We've been distilling peated spirit all this week. Um, it's a really, for me, a really interesting peat in that it's a little bit floral and a little bit mineral on the nose. But then see if it happens for you. But for me, when it comes to the back of my palate, it's just a boom of smokiness, but not until it reaches the back of your palate. So let's see if you I'm, I'm really you get enjoying that as well. because I, I it's it's basically your new make spirit yep. that's been peated. It's it's so refreshing and that the, the, the smokiness of this that, that sits there. Sure, it's just wonderful on the nose. Yeah, I mean it's the um, it's the exact same spirit. Yeah. All that's happened is that yeah we have we've peated the barley uh, before we have then um, passed it into the the mash tun for the exact gone for the exact same process. All right, let's see. Ah, uh, uh, that's it. Back palate. Ah, uh, I I, I it, this is. This is like the hard part of being on like a podcast. 
there's just a, you know me moaning. I mean, I don't know if people want to hear ah, me Ah, you seem to be moaning pleasurably. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's it's it's. Uh, I mean, it's even hard on on you know, let alone podcast, but video trying to trying to really sort of describe that sensation you're getting. But I don't know anybody that's doing, let's say, a peated moonshine or a peated new make spirit. Um, well, I mean, loads of people are. They, they, they're just not necessarily... They're not serving it. Yeah. They're not offering right. it to the public. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but no, As I much mean, as I would love just sipping your new make, this is... Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm taking this okay, one. So, this one, that so one you're I'm a taking bit of a to the prom. Smoky whiskey, then. Yeah, that one I'm taking to the prom. Yeah. This one I'm marrying. Okay. <laughs> wow. Good job, fat. You know. Thank you. Great job. So we've still got, obviously, as it's new make, we've still got a little time to uh, to wait for that to come to fruition. But what we do have, and in his glass uh, number six, is heated finish. So what we've done here, um, similar to number five, it's been ex bourbon matured, but then we have moved it to a quarter cask that has held heavily peated Isla whiskey. Can I tell you, it, it this really takes down. You get more of the peated smokiness. In your okay, so there's really a reason for that. that in the sense of this, we have peated the barley. Right. This, the only peat is coming from the cask. So this one, this as one, your, as your new make, yep, has the the barley itself has been peated okay. and then we've distilled it. This one, is the barley is unpeated, right. but it's been finished in the cask that previously held Isla whiskey. So that's where the smoke's coming. So yeah, you're going to get a lot more smoke from 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 the new make than this because this is a cask finish. I really, yeah, yeah. This is one of the new, this is one of the releases you just did, right? Um, so we did a distillery exclusive release for this. Somewhere. It's somewhere. Um, and yeah, that was one of the ones that sold out uh, in three hours. Um, but this is something for uh, fans of smoke, of cask finishing and of bimba. Um, yeah, watch this space. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I mean, that was a single cask, um, but yeah, we didn't just fill one cask, let's put it that way. So there are more of these coming, so you're not going to miss out. They're, so the queue is going to start the day before now, you're going to see people out in like tents. <laughs> no, but you can, ex- <laughs> I mean, there's, there's a combination of uh, seeing single cask sell out really quickly is great, and seeing the infusion is fantastic. Uh, but also, you know, we have fans all over the world, so we want to make releases that you don't have to get to the distillery for. So um, whilst we love doing distillery releases, um, that's not necessarily what we're going to be about. So yeah, you can expect to see uh, a whiskey, not this identical one, because it's a single cask, but a similar one, uh, playing around with expeated casks, but in a a much bigger batch. So uh, not just one cask worth 300 bottles, but 1,000 bottles, 2,000 bottles. Uh, Yeah, watch this space this year. We talk a little bit about the future talk more about the future of of bimber and and where you're going sure so um you can expect to see as i've just said lots more releases um just on the horizon we'll be looking at uh, our next small batch release so the follow-up to uh richard oak cask so there'll be another small batch but um accessible release of uh, vatted whiskey um that we are currently laying down now that we're looking at um sticking into the vat for resting uh, we'll be looking at some market-exclusive single casks, so both for the UK, but then also overseas uh, to recognize that not everyone uh, has access to all the markets. Um, we're also then, as I alluded to, looking at some more interesting casks, um, so stout casks, Madeira casks, wine casks, and those, I suspect, will be uh, bundling up into uh, um, a new package that we'll be announcing in the not-too-distant future. 
for a new membership option for people who want to follow our journey uh, and be a, a Bimba member with us. So they'll get access to uh, distillery tours, uh, special tastings, but then the ability so like to... VIP, it's like a VIP group, like, yeah. right? Uh, I mean, we've already got our Founders Club and, and those, those guys have been with us from the very start. Talk about um, your Founders Club. What is that all about? So our Founders Club was launched when we started and effectively it's a package whereby you get um, access to four single malt, single casks, one each year. So 2019, 20, 21, 22. Um, so you follow I, us for the I first four years. I would love to see those up on the um, wall, right? There's one, one round <laughs> somewhere. Uh, yeah, bottom, bottom left, there's the last year's one. So it's a, a four-year thing. Um, and then you get a range of other benefits, including um, a discount on bottlings and advanced notice of what we're doing. Um, but that was really popular. And as it's a single cask release, um, there's only so many of those we can sell without having to open another cask and then it not being the same thing. Uh, and so what you'll see from us later in the year will be a different uh, membership option, um, which won't necessarily include all of the bottles as a, a four-year package deal, um, but it'll be something that's very accessible to you anywhere in the world, giving you loads of um, exciting Bimba benefits, um, as well as starting to uh, use that as an avenue for some of the experimental stuff uh, like beer casts, Madeira, wine that we're looking at. Though Those chances are uh, we're going to be looking at a prop as a proposition uh, for people who join us uh, when we launch our new membership option to offer them something that, you know, uh, yeah, if you want to say VIP, well, you know, it's very important person in terms of we will offer those people uh, these really unique casts that you have to uh, be a member of, of that of that club offering to to access. Matt, is there anything that we haven't talked about? I mean, we, we, we've sat down and talked about the origin of the distiller. We've taken the tour and some of the unique things you're doing back here in the, the distillery itself. We've, ta- we've tasted some amazing spirits thank you, here. Thank you. Is there anything that we didn't talk about that you want to add? Make sure that everybody that gets the chance to listen learns uh, about I mean, Denver. I th- yeah, I mean, I think we've we've covered it in pretty much detail. But just to say that, um, despite being a small active distillery, we are we are open for tours um, on Thursday and Fridays, and anyone uh, whether they're in the UK or whether they're like you guys just visiting. Um, By the way, it isn't difficult to get here on the tube. There you go. So you can do that. Yeah, about 10 minutes from central London. Yeah. So yeah, no, we, uh, we're whiskey lovers and we, we love uh, hosting and showing around other whiskey lovers on what we're doing, uh, getting your opinions on our spirit. Um, yeah, getting that feedback, trying some new expressions on you and showing you what we're doing here at Bimba. If you're a whiskey lover, if you're a spirit lover, you need to come visit Bimber Distillery. This is amazing. I'm grateful for your time. Where do people find you? You're on the web, right? Um, yeah. Um, I mean, effectively, if you want to contact uh, Bimba, all the details are there. If you want to contact me, uh, you'll find me at thedramble.com. Spell that so people can... T-H-E-D-R-A-M-B-L-E.com. I looked at your eyes. You're like, oh, yeah, I have to think about that for a second. Just a second. <laughs> I am grateful. We, we set this up a couple of months ago, and I'm grateful for your time to... Uh, Two already blokes from the states, I guess. I don't know how that works, but uh, You're most we're welcome. gangs from the states. We come across the pond and just to visit you, and this has been a treat. This no, has really been a absolutely treat. Absolutely honored to have you guys, and uh, thank you so much for coming, and thank you so much for taking the time to interview me here, and uh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks. Looking forward to uh, all the great things coming Bimber, coming from Bimber, especially looking forward where the eagle is pointing. That's it to the future. Thanks, Matt. Cheers. Appreciate it. Thank you.